Now, before I move on with the second talk, you won't be surprised to hear there's a little bit I'd like to finish off from the first talk, and it's called Hallmarks of Authentic Prophecy. The one you've just heard carries none of those hallmarks. It's all to do with my selfish spirit and my warped ego. But just a few quick pointers to help us gauge as we're in the process of either giving or receiving prophetical words. Prophecy is an expression of the mind of Christ. What's Christ-like about this? What, what does it tell me uh, of Jesus? It's such a simple question to ask, but we have to stay Christocentric in all our ministry. Secondly, prophecy is harmonious with Scripture, and not all of us will be carrying our compendium of scriptural knowledge with us. That's if we have any, anyway. So it's not really a talk about Does that fit in with Leviticus 9 verse 16? Which I'm sure you're dying to know what it says. Uh, I don't. (laughs) But I think what it's talking about is the the kind of behavior and belief systems that we have been taught and practiced as Christians. Is it coherent with that? Prophecy, as we've said, builds up. And I've said enough on that. And finally, prophecy glorifies God, not the giver of the prophecy. It's always got to stay focused. Uh, on him. Just some little ticks to help us gauge the authenticity of prophecy. This second session, which is rapidly running by, is on the subject of praying the prophetic. And I would like to end this session uh, with an opportunity for, say, maybe 10 minutes at the end, so I'll include that in my talk time, Anne, uh, of just trying out some simple procedures of praying together and being open for prophetic words and insights to give as part of praying. Okay, just thought I'd warn you now about that. I mentioned in the, well, not I mentioned, it's mentioned in the passage in Joel 2 and Acts 2 that the Spirit is to be outpoured and amongst other ways that God communicates his prophetic insights, his revelatory insights, are dreams and visions and prophecy. Those three are often linked together. And there's a whole industry out there uh, on hearing the word of God through dreams. You can do a two-year degree now in uh, Reading, California, uh, on dreams and visions and prophecy. And uh, the average age of those attending those courses is 26 Interesting that, isn't it? It's very directional stuff, but it has amazing testimonies. I have written, as some of you know, a number of books on the subject of the Bible and dreams and visions. And uh, when you speak on a subject, God has the habit of giving you a come-uppance application of what you're supposed to know about. So you won't be surprised to hear that some years ago, I had a recurring dream. It was an interesting recurring dream in that there were no pictures in it, just a sentence. And the sentence was this, tell your milkman that I, the Lord God of heaven, love him. Tell your milkman that I, the Lord God of heaven, love him. And it persisted and persisted, even though I tried to attribute it to watching the first episodes of Crossroads. It would not go away. Now, the problem with this is that my milkman delivered the milk somewhere around 5.30 in the morning. We live quite close to the dairy. And eventually, my wife said, well, you go around teaching on dreams, so come on, put it into practice. So I got up 
at five o'clock one morning feeling totally stupid. We have a kind of glass box on the front of our house in those days that doubles up as the hallway. And then you go into the glass box and there's the door into the, straight into the living room. I'm stood behind that living room door waiting for the familiar sound of an electric milk float. Let's tell how old the story is. Uh, coming up the street. And it did. So taking a deep breath, I opened the inner door, went to the out door and opened it just as my milkman is down here like this, picking up the milk. And he looked up at me and I recognized him and he recognized me. His name was Frank Gethin and we were in Kirkland Secondary Modern School together and I hadn't seen him in about 18 years, but I still recognized him. So he straightens himself up and he says to me, I didn't know you lived here. I said, I didn't know you were my milkman. He said, are you going to work? No, I said. Walking the dog? No. He said, what are you up this early for? It's like God is saying, he's asked you three times. <laughs> Tell him what you're up here for. Come on. I said, Frank, I'm as sane as you are. <laughs> and he kind of gave, I was the head prefect at my secondary school. That meant I got a lot of free cigarettes. Blackmail was my business. <clears throat> He remembered that. I, I said, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sane as you are, Frank. And so what I've got to tell you, I want you just to take it to heart. Okay, see how I'm trying to build it all up and protect myself. And he's looking at me and I, I said, you know, I had a dream. He said, yeah, I have dreams too, you know. I had a dream. I've been having it a while. And you know, it's about my milkman. Really? I said, yes. I said, do you want to hear it? And he went, yeah, go on. I went, here we go, God. I hear one sentence, Frank, and it goes like this. Tell your milkman that I, the Lord God, love him. That's it, Frank. Now, I can't tell you exactly the words he said, because you won't know them. <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> and he went, and I said, oh, have I upset you? You have. I said, why have I upset you? He said, my wife went to, I don't know what you call it, an evangelistic crusade, is that what you call it? And she got born again. And she nags me that I've got to become a Christian over and over again. It gets up my nostrils. But you know, I shut her up a few weeks ago. I said, what did you do? I mean, did you use a plaster? He said, no, no. I said, if this God of yours really exists, He's got to come and tell me himself. <laughs> and now you tell me this. He said, I've got to go home and tell my wife. <laughs> you were right. This God exists. He gave this guy I haven't seen for 19 years the same thing you've been telling me, more or less. And I said, I'm sorry, Frank. I didn't mean to upset your married life. He said, it's, it's really funny. I said, why is it funny? He said, well, I'm leaving the business of being a milkman uh, next week. I'm, I'm being transferred out. He said, I'm only doing this round because uh, I'm the manager and the guy who does your street uh, slept in. So that's part of what we do. I took on his ship. I, I even narrows it down and some more, doesn't it? And I said, well, you do what you do with what you've been given. And he went out of my life, I thought, for good. A year rolled by, and I went to preach in a brethren assembly in New Ferry, um, down on the docks, 
in Birkenhead. And there he is, giving out the hymn books. In that old-fashioned sort of semi-mugging state you get when you go into some churches. You know, that kind of grilling look. Are you saved? Are you not saved? <laughs> go and sit next to this one. They're not saved. You know, those kind of insecure moments. And he's there. And he gives me the hymn book. And he said, I saw on the preaching list it was you uh, tonight. He said, I, I want it to be here to surprise you. I said, Frank. He said, yes, he said. I'm born again too. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. He said, but you know what? I didn't tell my wife for six months. I just sat on it and I sat on it and it kept building up, you know. I tried to talk my way out of it. It was coincidence. Coincidence, I tell myself. Get a life. He said, I just couldn't get out of it. He said, the, the real reason is that I was frightened that my wife would say, I told you so. But after six months, I broke down. Uh, I just, I couldn't hide it. And I said, I've got to tell you. And she, he told her, and she said, I told you so. I told you so that this God exists. He said, and so I've become a Christian. I got my interest in dreams, as you'll appreciate and understand. And part of the, the way that God pours out prophetical insights, and how about this for overtime, is not only when you're awake, but when you're asleep. In fact, does it not say in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, I sleep, but my heart is awake. And I have this little phrase I give to people when I, I lecture on dreams and, and do what I call dream therapy with people, that you are more honest when you're asleep than when you're awake, because you will tell yourself things when you sleep that you wouldn't dream of telling yourself when you're awake. I mean, some of those secular therapists who derive their insights from Plato and beyond were onto something. But actually, they were just catching up with Scripture, which tells us that God speaks into uh, our dreams, both for prophetical insight and for personal challenge. And indeed, the Old Testament word for dreams, which is olam, literally means to heal and make whole. Isn't that interesting that the Holy Spirit would inspire a word like that to mean dreams? So, you, you know, when the old expression, when your nanny said sleep on it, it has a, actually some deep biblical credence uh, behind it. Part of my ministry in praying the prophetic came out of sharing dreams, especially if I had a dream about somebody else. I found it easy. I mean, where's Andrew? We were chatting about how you go beyond the holy huddle of the church with prophecy. I don't mean that in any denigrating way, but I think you know what I'm saying. Uh, to the community that maybe doesn't share our belief systems and never darkens our doors. Uh, I, for example, I used to work for a millionaire. Just go to sleep with you. I'm just talking to Andrew here. I used to work for a millionaire called Charlie Longbottom, who became a Christian when he became the, the uh, chair of trust of Acorn. Uh, we specialised in having secular trustees who ended up getting converted, leaving their money before they did. <laughs> Charlie used to go every year for five weeks uh, to a private house just near Grasse in the south of France with his three chefs and his entourage, which consisted of uh, some of the uh, people from the House of Lords and Commons. He entered the House of Commons himself as a Tory MP the self-same day as Margaret Thatcher. You still with us? Okay. And uh, he invited me to come over and uh, have a holiday at this place. And he just happened to say to all these lords and gents, who incidentally he later told me, 
when he said, oh, I've got uh, the Reverend Dr. Russ Parker coming to, to stay for a holiday for a few days. They went, oh, God, no. <laughs> a clergyman, etc." And I, I roll up, and Charlie says to them, you know, Russ is, uh, really works with dreams. I spent three hours in the swimming pool doing dream work with these guys. You know, they would share their dream material with me, and as I listened, I'd say to God, have you got a word that matches what's coming out of this? Have you got something, God, you want to say into this piece uh, of their life? Not preaching at them, do you understand? Not giving advice cheaply, if at all, in that way, but just a kind of holding on to it with a perspective from God. I prayed with every one of them lords and MPs in that swimming pool through that holiday we had because there was just something about the world of dream stuff that opened them up to God. And ever afterwards, uh, when people share with me their dreams, I quickly switch on and say to God, clue me in, sharpen my ears, get me ready. Do you have something? Because they're going to open up their heart, even if it's a daft dream or a deep dream or a whatever dream, it's their piece of creativity. Do you have your piece of creativity, God? You want to speak into theirs. And uh, he's never disappointed. And this happens mainly to me, to people who don't come anywhere near church. It's not fascinating that people will do this. So next time somebody at work says to you, I had a funny dream uh, last night, don't preach into them. Just say, do you want to talk about it? Or tell me. And then quietly say to God, do you have a word that you want to speak through me into that piece of their dreaming? It can even be a simple thing. You know, like, um, it sounds like this to me. And the piece that you pick up, is not you inventing it. It's God clarifying the piece you are to pick up. And that's prophetical. Do you get that? Because prophecy isn't something unknown to the recipient being given to them. Prophecy is disclosing the mind of God to your context and situation. And maybe it takes the form of words or actions. Jesus, for example, often did this. When he used his mud pie healing style mixture, you know, or he'd just take some dust from the ground, Vol did it as little kiddies. I actually think that blind guy had massive faith, don't you? Imagine you come in after prayer and you're blind and the next thing you hear is... <laughs> don't you think it takes a lot of faith just to stand there and take it? Or do you think he said, Jewish spit, love it, can't get enough of it. He puts this mud pie mixture on the man's eyes and then gives him the word. Incidentally, if you read the scripture, which is uh, John 9, you find that Jesus doesn't pray for him to be healed. But he gives him a prophetic word. And do you know what the prophetic word is? It's so ordinary. It isn't. And the date of the second coming is, and these are your darkest, deepest sins, or go and do this, this, and this, in terms of repentance. He just said, go and wash. But he chose where you're to go and wash. That that's the piece you mustn't miss amongst the many pieces you mustn't miss. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which, John writes in brackets, means sent. And so Jesus wants to give him a special word. 
that you're on a journey where God is sending you into something new. So he did not go to the pool of Siloam to get some Jewish spit off his eyelids, so to speak. He did not go to the pool of Siloam uh, just to get his fix of healing. He went to the pool of Siloam as a man who was sent by God into what's coming next. And boy, what came next? I mean, who taught this guy this eloquence? I mean, all he's done is got, he, okay, all he's had is his eyes sealed. That, that'll do, won't it, folks? He comes back home. Everybody's stunned, and the Pharisees get theological. Who did this? He said, you know, I don't know. But he told me about this. He shouldn't be doing it, you know. It's the Shabbat day, Saturday. I don't know about that, said this guy. All I know that once I was blind and now I'm seeing. And we all go, yes, that's one in the eye for that lot. If you pardon a pun, etc. you know. <laughs> He's suddenly on his scent bit. Do you get it? I mean, join them up. He sent him to the pool of Siloam with these instructions. Go and wash. So you, and it just says, he did just that and he came back seeing. But the scent bit. He comes back with the scent bit and it starts to take root in his life. So when he gets grilled by the theologians, he just comes with such simplicity and authenticity and honesty, has this amazing authority to glorify Jesus. Where did he get that from? Well, I know. The scripture tells us because Jesus gave him this prophetic instruction. I'm going to tell you where to go and go and wash to the place of scent. Siloam, incidentally, is exactly the same name as Shiloh in Hebrew, the place where the tabernacle presence of God sat upon the ground, where Emmanuel was amongst us. Amazing word, isn't it? So easily missed if we just focus on the physical healing. Brilliant, though that is. But look at the guy's attitude when he comes back. Because he went to the place that he was sent to. And it it touched his heart. And sometimes when we're praying with people, God gives us that peace. Do you want another one? This is an Old Testament one. I was going to read this passage to you, but the time prohibits me because it's 30-something verses. So I'm going to cut to the chase. I often do this with the Old Testament and pay a high price for it, I know. I'll set you the story. 2 Kings chapter 4. Verses 8 to the end of the chapter. If you want to write that down, or buy the CD. (laughs) The story, a Shunammite woman is how she's described. We don't even know her name. We do know she's a piece of work. And we know that she's got vision. Because when Elisha the prophet passed through her neighborhood, she knew he was the real deal. And she wanted to support his ministry. And so she built an extension to her house and put in it a bed, a table, and a chair, which incidentally is like the Hilton Hotel of the day, because you slept on the floor normally, so a bed, <laughs> a table. You know, what's he got, a book or something to read? And all of this, but he gets all this treatment, and then it's pointed out that they're childless. You're remembering the story now. And so he says she's going to have a child. And do you know what she says to him when he says, when I come back, you'll have a child? And she says, no. My Lord, don't don't play around with me. There's a big script there. He's speaking into a woman's life who had lost hope that she'd ever have kids. Don't play around with me. 
I've been to too many charismatic prophecy conferences where people have told me this, that, and the other. So she's had enough of it, but the child comes nonetheless. I love that, that even when we say to God, I can't believe it. God doesn't go, oh, I can't do anything. They don't believe me down there. I'm done. Let's start a new colony on on Mars or something. I'll do what I want to do, says God. He is God, isn't he? He will do what he wants to do. So she has the child. Amazing. Great story. She's probably the biggest testifier in her congregation. But comes the dark day. And the child has possibly sunstroke, but falls over in the fields, probably a teenager, is brought back in from the fields and placed in his mother's lap, and the kid dies. And the woman has got attitude. She says to her husband, sadly ass, I'm going to go and see that man of God. The husband, incidentally, now gets his one and only line in the story. It goes like this, but. (laughs) That's it. But it's not a new moon. But it's not a Sabbath. Sadly, yes, he does. That's him finished. She's determined. She's got vision. And I think she wears the trousers. And onto the back of the ash she gets. Top speed, no doubt, of four miles an hour across the desert floor. Sitting up on the hillside is the prophet Elijah with his Robin equivalent, guy called Gehazi, who spots the dust cloud approaching and says, Look, says Elisha, it's that Shunammite woman. Run down the hill, will you, Gehazi, and greet her for me and say to her, Is it well with you? How's your son? How's that husband of yours? That's his instructions. So Gehazi comes down the hill and he says, how you doing? And she says to him what everybody says to the vicar when they leave church and Andrew asks them, how are you doing today, Mrs. Watsonot? And they say, fine. She says, it is well. Well, that's close enough for me. Up the hill she goes saying, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then grabs the seated prophet by the ankles and said, whose big idea was it that I have this kid? It's like somebody coming back to, you know, to the healing service and said, it all went wrong. You lot messed me up. And the temptation to defend comes strongly to Gehazi. He wants to lay hands on this woman, but not nicely, and shove her out of the way. And here comes the prophetic advice, which I find so helpful in the healing ministry. There are four of them. I'm quoting them literally. The first one is leave it alone. And sometimes in the healing journey, the prophetic word needs to be, get your hands off them. Don't possess them. Don't think your job is to sort them out and take control of their emotional map. If in any way you are taking control of the person in your healing ministry, you haven't found it, you have lost it, leave them alone. There are times when strong emotions is a sign of healing, don't you think? There is sometimes a time when people come out verbally with with deep pain that tells us they're on the healing journey. It's just not easy to listen to, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. Leave her alone. Secondly, can't you see? Now, this is a big one, because I do think legitimately God could come down and say to the church, can't you see? What's going on in your town? 
Can't you see what's going on among some of the people who say I'm fine, but are not? And they won't tell you. Why didn't they tell Gehazi? In the story, it's his insight of her childlessness that gets the prophet praying. So why didn't she say, you were so helpful in the past. Let me tell you I'm feeling what I'm feeling now. But she doesn't. Up the hill she goes. If you read the next chapter, you'll get the answer. Next chapter, well, that's all about Naaman, who comes for healing, and Gehazi, liking the money, reward at the end, so much so that he lies about it and gets leprosy for his troubles. I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to. The unsaved, if you want to call them that, are those who are not with us in what we do in one sense, have intelligence. They can spot a phony when they see one. Can't they? And we can talk all the charismatic language and have all the stories even, but sometimes people just have an intuitive level, don't they? And they think, well, okay, but something inside me says don't tell them. And they don't tell me and they don't tell you because we've got something like a haze eye in us, possibly, and they've spotted it. And that's the challenge for us. Why don't we see? Well, maybe we're not serving well. Maybe we're living duplicitous lives. Maybe we need to humble ourselves more than we do as we approach the needs of others. Can't you see? I often want to tell people, should we just stop for a while going around our cities looking for bad stuff and and coming against it in Jesus' name and doing all that kind of stuff and just walk around the city and say, I'm listening, Lord. What is it you want to say through me or do through me for this piece of my community? What is it, Lord, you're laying on my heart? And find, ask God to help you find good ways to connect with the community that you are about. I walked the walls of Derry many years ago with a Presbyterian pastor from Cookstown called Isaac Thompson. He's still the pastor there at Cookstown, this old, old guy who used to have a flashing black beard when I did this walk with him. And as we walked around those walls near St. Columns Cathedral, looking down on the Catholic housing estate that looked like so many cardboard boxes crammed together in a small space, uh, Isaac said to me, as you look down there, will you listen to God? And what does he say as you look down from these walls where so many orange marches have passed and apprentice boys' walks have gone for different reasons and so forth? So I tried to focus on those houses which were a fair distance away and I heard rage and I heard anger rising up which quite took my breath away. I said to Isaac, I'm not sure where this is coming from, Isaac, but I'm getting anger, I'm getting rage. And he starts to cry at this point. He said, I was a town councillor in Derry. And we were so frightened that the Catholics were going to take over that we devised ways to deny them political representation in in, uh, the Houses of Parliament, so to speak. If we could limit their floor space, that would reduce the number of political representatives that they had and ensured that the Protestants were in the ascendancy with the members of Parliament and the local council. So when these new flats were built, we squashed them in together. Jerry Adams was born there, in those flats. I've spoken to him, and he talks about the anger and the rage that he felt being treated like animals down there. 
And that's what fueled him to take the path that he took. Quite a few leading members uh, of the uh, provisional IRA lived in those flats and knew why they were so crammed together like this. So we're not talking about some dreamy, esoteric thing here now, are we? We're talking about the legacy of political action based on prejudice, fear, and hatred that generated 30 years of killing and murder, not just in Northern Ireland, uh, but in the Houses of Commons themselves when Airy Neve was blown up in a car bomb as he left the car park, and the attack you know, in Brighton and all the other atrocities. You can trace it all back, not to the kind of shades of the past and so forth, but to the present day. And Isaac was crying for that. And I said, what do we do with a wound this big? And he said, well, if you're willing, I'm willing to go down there and meet the people. And I want to confess. Now, half of me wanted to say, <clears throat> I was born in Birkenhead, not Northern Ireland. I'm, I'm not even, of, you know, I'm half Catholic. I was raised Roman Catholic, etc. But we ended up doing precisely that. And we found... We founded peace communities in Northern Ireland. We started dialogue meetings for healing and reconciliation between people from both sides where we were just listening to each other. And then the prophetical side coming, started to come in. And you know, the best recipients of the prophetical side were not the church leaders, but people who were in the provisional IRA saying, that is a community that I've always wanted. And so transformation, slowly but surely, has started to come in places like that. And so part of the prophetic ministry isn't just to be contained with inside the church. It's actually listening to the stories of community and listening to God and saying, what's the words or the deeds or the actions you wish us to pick up and share appropriately that engages with what we're receiving about what it's like to live here? Can we see? So the prophetic is not just about getting words as we pray, as much as I cherish that and love doing it, uh, it's also taking it beyond our walls. In that, I'm tempted to say evangelistic, but I, I think it kind of gives the wrong impression I'm trying to give you. I think it's more about being salt and light, being part of the regeneration and transformation of community. And along the way, the great bonus, the great result of people coming to a living faith in that Christ that we serve. Yes? Just a thought. Four things I said. Leave her alone, can't you see? Thirdly, she's in bitter distress. And it's, very, it's a very angry word, uh, the word distress here. In other words, what he's telling us, even though she's the one doing the laying on of hands, is that he has an accurate understanding of her emotional map. And that should affect the way we pray for people, shouldn't it? Don't you think? Which is why you keep your eyes open most of the time you pray. Because if you've got someone terribly frightened and you're going into your kind of taking the world for God stage in praying, you might be frightening them even more. So there's a sense in which you want to be in touch with where they are. It's what we call empathy. And letting the Holy Spirit give you the kind of directional way of praying that, yes, gives them the sense of safety, yes, gives them the invitation to be ephrathed, to be opened to what God is doing at this moment. And so often when we do prayer ministry, I teach my teams, 
as you lay hands upon this person, just be still for a moment and ask God to make you aware of what it is you're feeling from them. Don't ask them. It's not about tell me how you feel and all of that, as if you're a GP. But it's, Lord, what's, what, what am I picking up just as I begin this prayer? And help me, therefore, to just adjust the way I pray and what I say accordingly. Sometimes when I've laid hands on people, I've been aware that there's been a real battle there and that they are struggling. And I've included those words in my praying as I've gone along. And even though you're in a big battle right now, I do pray that God's healing presence will come in. And they'll interrupt me and say, I never mentioned a big battle going on. I said, but are you telling me there is? Yes. Do you want to say any more about it? You don't have to. And some do and some don't. And so the prayer might take a certain direction. She's in bitter distress. He, Gehazi, who went to a charismatic training course, his response to her emotions is, let's get rid of her. She's not respecting the prophet. She's angry. And he's such a nice guy, Elisha, etc. No, no, this is pain that I'm listening to. This is, don't, you, don't you shove pain away. Can't you see? She's in bitter distress. And the confession at the end. The Lord has hidden it from me. He hasn't shown me yet. I want to add the yet word in. Because he does try a few things here. I love the honesty of scripture. He says to Gehazi, here's my staff. Here's the symbol of my office as prophet. Go and take it and lay it on the dead child. Gehazi trips off, does exactly what he's told. Nothing happens. And he tells the man, nothing happens. Elisha goes in and he walks around seven times. There's a bit of listening going on in that, isn't there? There's a bit of something or other. Do you, are you like me? Do you think, what's he doing that for? Is it magic? Is, sorry, is it anointed ministry? <laughs> Seven being the perfect number. And God isn't going to show up unless you, you dot all the I's and cross all the T's in your spirituality checkup list and so forth. Is, is that it? No. I think, and it's left to us to imagine... I think he's asking God, what should I do? Have you got any good ideas? Which direction do you want me to go? We've had the staff laying on the dead body routine. And what did he do? Outrageous. He climbs on the bed with the body. Aren't you glad he's on his own? And lays himself almost to the contours of the dead child. And does the breath prayer, breathed on him and prayed. And then the child sneezes, it says, and comes walloping back to life. And he's restored to his mother. I just like the deliberation piece. You see, I used to think when God gives prophecies, it's, it comes like that. And I think sometimes God wants to say, no, we're going to work at this. It's a process. And people are worth the process. And I'll give you pointers and directions that that's the prophetical piece that will steer you on your way. I think that's why Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, when he's being harangued by a woman who had the spirit of the python. Do you remember this one? Where she gives him, or I think it's not a bad piece of PR. I wouldn't mind one of you following me around the street saying, this is Russ Parker. He's been sent by the Most High God to teach you none other than the way of salvation. I wouldn't mind that if you feel called to do that. 
uh, in somewhere. And she follows them around saying, these are the men that God has sent to this city. These guys are brilliant. You think Paul would turn around and say, okay, you know, we mustn't let it go to our heads. And it says for three days this goes on and then suddenly he turns around and he binds this spirit and casts her out of her. Now, come on, why did he wait three days? Is it because the number three is rather important to God? <laughs> Got to happen in threes, death and resurrection, three. Okay, three of this, three of the other. So it's got to be threesomes. Very Trinitarian, got to be kosher evangelical. It's got to be threes and it's got to alliterate as well in some way. Why did he wait three days? Because he didn't know. All he knew, perhaps, was that the words are great, but why am I bothered? All she's saying is the truth, but in my spirit, it's like sandpaper. Do you have moments like that? It's often the disparance between hearing a person's words and touching their spirit. It's discernment, I suppose, is another word for it. And I'm glad that's in Scripture, because sometimes we don't know. God hasn't showed us yet. And until God shows you yet, don't you be giving them false prophecies. But wait on God. And I love the honesty of a prophet who said, God hasn't spoken to me. That's a dangerous step for a prophet to take. What? You the prophet? You the vicar? And God hasn't spoken to you on this matter? Well, I think I'm going to quit tithing to this company, seeing we haven't got perfection in our leadership. I just love this vulnerability. And that's what we're to cultivate and rejoice in, I think, as we step into the world of the prophetic. It's quarter to the hour for lunch. I would like to step into giving you an opportunity to try some of this. You're up for it. Just simple steps. I know some of you are perfect in this and experienced in this. Or some of you are well experienced actually in this. But I'm just going for the lowest common denominator myself, that is, uh, and do some simple steps into it to gaining the rhythm of it. Now, you're going to need a partner to work with, and the usual rules of not taking part still apply. But if you want to just observe, and you can silently be for what's going on in the couple you're with, but you don't want actually to participate for yourself, your hands are like this. I'm going to give you just one moment to find someone to work with, someone you haven't yet worked with. (laughs) Move around if you have to, but can we do this swiftly? Okay? Now I know we've got a whole crowd of people in one confined space and this is not ideal when you're praying or listening or working alongside of each other. But let's take that as given. That's part of the challenge on a day like today. I'd like to try and do a few things incrementally uh, just to get us into learning something of the routines and the rhythms of being open to God who gives prophetical insight. The context at the moment, because I always want to broaden it out to the community outside, but the context really is going to be praying with people. And of course, 
No disrespect intended when I say this, but any church that has a prayer ministry team has got a problem as well as a blessing. The blessing is the team being willing to serve you. The problem is the rest of the congregation thinks they do it, we don't have to. And so you get a majority of passive people in your church. And if that's not fed properly or dealt with properly, you get a dichotomy congregation. You get a hardening of the arteries, as we say. You get a whole nub of people who don't take part and become passive, uh, who then continually regard the ministry team as being a different species of humanity, maybe nicer, superior, or more wonky on the edges. But I want to say the ministry, to use that old-fashioned word, is normal. It's normal. So if you're super spiritual, you have a problem. But if you're normal, you have an invitation. And I'm a great believer. I've done this in the healing ministry for over 40 years. I love helping the whole congregation to take a share in the ministry of Christ uh, in different ways. And there's always challenges to keep that fresh and alive, I know. Now, in your twos, I would just first of all like to do a simple step. And you'll need to decide who's the one who's going to be uh, the servant prayer first, and then the other person will come second. So, first of all, let's just have that moment. You're leaving the room. Sorry. Now, I know it's not rocket science deciding who's going first. Okay, that's enough. Let's do the first thing. You're the hard lot. It's like herding cats. Most of what I'm teaching you at the moment will come more in the flow of things rather than in the kind of um, drawn out way I'm doing it at the moment. But I'm just trying to make it clear some of the ways that we work. And every time you come to pray with anybody, I know we assume this, but we should make this important is to have a moment of stopping inside of ourselves and really tell God, help us to listen at every level we can as we come alongside the next person we're going to share with. So let's do that, shall we? Let's just have a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, great high servant, great high priest, great mediator, who's in touch with all the feelings of all our challenges and scars of life. Send me now your Holy Spirit's breath. And wherever I am, on a mountaintop of feeling okay, or in the dark valley of struggling, nonetheless, send me your breath of the Holy Spirit and help me to really listen to what you're going to show me and Give me a way of working with what you show me today. So that, Lord, your healing touch, your renewing touch will pass through me to the person I'm sharing with. Give me that high honor of serving the needs of the person I'm with today. And for all of this, Lord, I give you thanks and glorify your name through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now decide who's going first and just you be the one who lays hands on the person. So it's not two of you doing it, it's one of you. Come on, just, yes love. Anybody not got a partner who wants to work? Gorgeous lady over here is available. Good, thank you. 
Okay. I prefer that you keep your eyes open when you're praying because I, I just think it's good to observe. Now, they haven't told you a thing about what they'd like you to pray for. Sometimes that's the way it is. People just come and don't want to tell you and you should allow them not to tell you because people can be in a very vulnerable place. But we're trying to just step up now into the prophetical way uh, of, a, of praying for healing using prophetical insights. So let's take that leaf out of Elisha's book. Can you see? Let the Lord make you aware of the emotional content that's coming to you, whatever feelings they are, simple or otherwise, as you lay hands on that person. I know they haven't told you a thing, but they're not made of wood. And whatever feelings come to you, can you just remind yourself maybe with one or two words rather than big long sentences, what those feelings are. So maybe you feel a sense of peace. Maybe you feel a sense of struggle. Joyfulness. Tense. Confusion. Longing. There's a whole range of feelings and all of them are okay. There's there's nothing that's wrong about what we feel. We just feel what we feel. It's what we do with what we feel. That's the important thing. So what are those feeling words that are coming to you? And I want you to pray into it. I'm going to suggest a way that you do this. Simply want you to do, I mean, sure prayers are always the hardest. Because we think if we pray a long prayer, God might get fed up and do something. Because he can't listen to any more of this. But short sentences are good because it's, It's just underlining that we're depending on God here, but I'm stepping out with his gift, okay? Can I suggest this to you then? Whatever those feeling words that you're getting about the person that you're laying hands on, can you pray out loud, and I'm going to suggest the sentence, something like this. The healing power of Jesus Christ come and hold your feelings of. Whatever those feeling words are, name them. Do you understand what I'm asking you to do? You don't have to like it, but do you understand it? The healing power of Jesus Christ come and touch your feelings of. When you're ready, go for it. You may want to repeat the prayer. I love John Wimber's way of giving little affirmations like, do more, Lord. So God, go on touching. God, go deeper into that with his healing presence. When you've finished, I'd like you to roll reverse so that the person who's been prayed for now has their opportunity just to learn this simple step of praying. So swap over as we say.
And be still. Ask God to make you aware of what are you feeling, the one doing the praying, as you lay hands on this person. We're going to take a step of faith that the Lord is helping us to see. Then summarize inside of your mind. These are the major feeling words I'm getting as I lay hands on you just now. And so in faith, step out and say the healing, Jesus Christ, bring his healing holding to the feelings of and name them. healing power of the Lord Jesus come now and hold your feelings of and then name them and when you've both prayed just put your hands down so I know roughly where we're up to before I gallop ahead Watching some of you pray, I can see you getting a lot more, a lot more insight, perception, as you began with that simple prayer. Usually more does come. I'm encouraged that many of you are still praying. But we are going to move on in one minute. We're just keeping it simple to begin with. Okay, if I could have your attention then, please. Just want to do a straw poll thing before we do the next piece, keeping my eye on that clock. And I I would appreciate your honesty here because we want to learn truthfully from such disciplines as this. But for those of you, well, you all were prayed for, but who would say that the feeling words that the person who prayed for me picked up were accurate for me? Just put your hands up and look around. Just in case you think you're the only one who got it right. Okay. Accurate. Okay. And let's be absolutely frank on this. Thank you. Who would say that the feeling word mentions actually didn't? 
it's okay. Any more at the back? Okay, this is not a judgment, incidentally, on the person uh, who prayed for you. It actually ties in with what I said earlier. And this is the truth of the matter, is that not one person in this room is infallible. I'm sorry to shock you with that. But we don't always get it right. But you know the praying this way is a simple way I used to teach my teens because it's not invasive. It's not prescriptive. If we have mistaken the feelings that come, it could be an indication of where I'm coming from and we've been involved in a bit of transference, to use that jargon. And that's why when I was speaking earlier, it's a case of saying, Lord, help me to really listen to the other. Now, lots of people want to come on our prayer ministry teams as a way of healing themselves rather than I want to come on the ministry team because I feel called to serve. And having trained counsellors for the last 30 odd years, here, there and everywhere, part of the assessment process we used to go through, and this is not a judgment on their worth as a counsellor, but we never let certain people come on our team because they're not ready to serve. They're coming aboard to learn ways to heal themselves. And there's a value in that, but that's not what we're doing here. We're training people to serve others. And so sometimes we just may need to simply check ourselves out and say, is that something I've got to learn about myself? And sometimes we get it wrong. And that's why I ask if it didn't touch where you were. Because I want to be brutally, totally honest and authentic uh, with the way we do this. And the bottom line is, this is a good place to get it wrong. Because we forgive each other. Got no choice in a building like this. The vicar's... <laughs> load of vicars in the room so we can get this right. Now, I know it feels slightly artificial in that um, we're doing it in this particular way, but from now on, when you pray with people, you might want to say, I'm going to use this, Lord. They've told me this, and as they've told me this, I've been trying to listen to what am I picking up on the emotional map that you want me to pick up. Not with judgmentalism, do you understand? Fancy you, and you're a priest, feeling that emotion. Have you had ministry for it? Kind of, it's, this, is it, this is significant. It's like the Holy Spirit saying, don't miss this piece. And sometimes when we pray the healing touch of God into dark emotions, it's amazingly helpful. You're not shocked. You're not put off me. And they might want to open up more. Was it Tennyson in one of his poems who said that the love of God is sunshine to a flower. No wonder it opens up in the morning. And sometimes when we show God's love, they, if is the word, they open up to the Son of God. So that's a very simple first step that we have done. It's just gone one, but I'd like just to add one more piece. Do you mind? And these are things you can take away from here and, and use. In the third talk, I'll say a little bit more about going beyond the comfort zones of the church. I've still got one or two other things I'd still like to include uh, in the way of praying. But part of the prophetic is actually giving God's word to people. Or the pictures, visions, dreams stuff. Well, we, we haven't got all day here to do this. So I'm going to limit the next piece. Now that you have prayed what you have prayed. Now that you have tuned in to, if you like, some of the emotions that you feel are there, whether we got them right or wrong, we're now going to just listen to God for a moment and say, is there some word of scripture that God wants to pass through you to them? 
as a way of just giving his word. Now, the word of God isn't just to pat us on the back. Remember, it's to give us solidity, exhortation, encouragement, or challenge even in that way. So could we in turn once again just lay hands on each other in those twos And let's be absolutely honest, there are times when it's not the time and God doesn't give us scripture. So please, if no word or scripture or maybe a kind of picture thing comes to you, do not shoot yourself down and say, why haven't you given me one? There are times when that is what it's like. Don't get obsessional about the healing ministry. Don't get obsessional about the prophetic. That's the worst way to hold it. So we're just letting God be God, aren't we? So can we do that? Decide who's going to lay hands first. And just in your own way silently say to God, what's the word you would like to give me for this person? Don't precede it with a sermon and don't sermonize about it. Supposing your word is the Lord is my shepherd, don't go on to say, and he is. He's a marvelous shepherd. There are three things I see about the shepherd-like heart of Jesus (laughs) that apply to your life today. Let the person evaluate the scripture and work with it for themselves. If it comes with the authority of the now moment from God, they're intelligent and breathing enough to do with it what they feel is appropriate. Your job as the prophetical conduit, if you like, is to give it away, not decide what they do with it. Okay, let's do it. Just quietly ask God, do you have a word, Lord? Do you have maybe to encapsulate it in a scripture, a single word maybe, or some kind of picture I got. And I just want to say, this is what I got. Do with it what you will. If nothing comes, and it happens sometimes, then don't prolong your agony. Just tap the person and say, "Um, I'm not getting anything. Can you pray for me, please? Just give the word, give the picture. No running commentary. And if nothing comes, that's okay. Just say, nothing's coming for me just now. You pray for me, please.
We're going to wrap this up in about another minute, so please make sure you both have had the opportunity to wait on God for the other, for his word or insight that you wish to share. You're still alive, are you? Good. Okay, folks, can I just uh, draw you back for a concluding minute or two, and then I'll hand over to Anne to read the Riot Act. Same rules apply, just for insightfulness. How many of you would say that the, the words that you were given from the person who prayed for you were helpful. You felt were appropriate. It mightn't have been helpful actually, but appropriate. Okay, thank you. And again, how many of you did not get a word to give to the other person? It just didn't come for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It happens, doesn't it? Please don't say, that's the story of my life. That's just the story of today and the person that you were ministering to. I could just have your attention because you look like you're having too much fun and I'm not there. We've done this in two separate exercises. We've not even invited you to share the, any content uh, of any prayer need perhaps that you may have here today for yourself or somebody who's on your heart. The reason we've done it this way is that you can articulate in, you, in yourself right. So prophetical and prayer has got something to do with being aware of the other person's perhaps emotional map and wanting to pray into that, not just the data that they give. Prophetical prayer involves listening to God because he may want to add something that I haven't got of myself, be it in the nature of scripture, a, a, a word of encouragement, uh, a guidance, the go and wash stuff that I was talking about before. When we do this, well, you've been doing it for real, but when you do it in situ and somebody comes, um, I, I always prepare people for this, that today as our team are offering prayer ministry, they're also going to be waiting on God for any prophetical insights he may want to share. And we just let you know and encourage you to be open to whatever God might have for you, not just praying for your particular healing need. And what we find that when you have those words that match, people and go, you, how did you know that? I've really fitted. And that word was very helpful. You know what's going on in them? Their faith is rising. The grace of God is being taken a hold of because, whoa, God's at work in this. It's not just, that was a good guess. How did you manage that girl? It's really speaking to me and a, a dual process begins to emerge. Now, the more we practice this and engage with it, my experience has been that God is, gives me more details and more pictures. I won't mention the person by name, but I had a brief prayer with a friend here today and immediately given a picture of a dancer and that was exactly what was helpful at the time and that encouraged me, of course. And sometimes God does that. So I don't stop the praying and say, well, I just throw it in. You make it just part of the automatic, spontaneous routine of doing that kind of prayer. You don't need to send up signals. Oh, I'm being prophetic now. Wake up. Take note. Because if it's of God, 
to use this language, if it comes from the Spirit, it comes with the authority God puts with it. You don't have to advertise it. You don't have to point it out or anything like that. People recognize the Spirit of God. Even the unsaved or the non-Christian, whatever we want to label such folk, but people who maybe are not as fully committed to Christ have just as much awareness of spiritual things, actually. You don't become alive to spiritual things when you get born again. You get born again because you're already alive to spiritual things and you recognize this one is absolutely necessary necessary for me. Okay? So let's not reduce those who aren't walking in faith to being total ignorant idiots until they get converted. Then they get it all packaged into them. It's already there. It just comes alive more. So learn to be that kind of spontaneous flow. I've got a couple of more things I'd like to involve you in that just gets us a bit down that road in the third session. So thank you for your cooperation today.